0: This week's Pharmacy Magazine Talking Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by Aronix, sildenafil 50mg from Dr Reddys.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Talking Pharmacy podcast where we look back at what's been happening in pharmacy over the last week. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine Join me on the pod this week are Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Rob Darkot, editor of P3 Pharmacy. So let's start straight away with Good Week, Bad Week. So once again, we're each going to pick either a good week or a bad week and explain why. Arthur, let's start with you. Good Week or Bad Week or one of your interesting weeks? Uh, and for whom. <laughs>
2: so first off you'll have to forgive me I'm a little bit sneezy and muffly, so um hopefully I can get through this without sneezing. Um <laughs> yeah so there's a re- bad week for the pharmacy workforce in England. Uh there's a report from the Community Pharmacy Workforce Development Group which is a sort of um joint body representing the CCA, AIM and the MPA. and it's talking about you know the the retention issues um in 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 pharmacies across england struggling to um to to there's a lot of you know vacancies for pharmacies that are that, are, that pharmacies are struggling to fill um it's as high as i think just under twenty percent eighteen percent in um in the southwest of england and pharmacies with vacancies on average those vacancies are open for twenty six weeks so half you know half a year um and um they talk about some of the reasons behind behind the 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 this sort of crisis really, um pay is a big issue you know, uh, wages are stagnating workload is another factor, um sort of inflexible working hours and you know sort of it's and a lack of op- lack of op- opportunities for career progression, um and they also talk about um phar- we we've spoken about this on the pod before pharmacists leaving the community pharmacy sector to work in other sectors I think the primary care networks and GPs is the one that gets the most attention there um and they also and they they point out that these sort of workforce issues aren't confined to pharmacists you also see a lot of unfilled vacancies for pharmacy technicians and um and the group talks about the high turnover rate among some uh support staff roles and they make a number of recommendations um including you know supporting the the pharmacy teams to carry out tasks so that pharmacists can carry out more um clinical services which is very much you know uh, a focus area for for the profession at the moment. Um, they talk about giving primary care networks greater flexibility to commission pharmacy services, and um, and something else they focus on is making it easier for existing pharmacists to access prescribing training. Because of course, anyone uh, doing the new M Pharm degrees is going to be a qualified prescriber. But there's also, you know, tens of thousands of, of existing pharmacists who who might not have that. Um, the it's a, it's a very uh, interesting report, very sort of worrying picture that it paints. Um, I would say uh, um, the the PDA have commented on this. I, I, it's interesting to note that these are all sort of the, the organisations behind it. They all represent employers. Um, the PDA make the point that um, the recommendations that they make are for, you know, NHS England and government and sort of national bodies to focus on. But... But PDA asked, "Well, what are the employers going to?" Do? It is interesting that none of the recommendations on that list are, you know, pay pharmacists more, uh, which is uh, uh, quite, quite interesting, I thought. Um, but yeah, no, definitely um, a kind of a worrying picture, and it sort of uh, just it, it it's a it sort of backs up with data the kind of anecdotal uh, story stories that you hear on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, so recruitment and retention problems there. Plenty of worrying indicators, Arthur. You, you've just described with those those vacancies and and the geographical variations. Um, yeah, you're right. You've talked about, or we've talked on the pod before, uh, where the community pharmacy is is seen as an attractive career option anymore, and the and the brain drain of community pharmacists that are going into primary care at the moment. I mean. It, I mean, Arthur, just quickly, is there any, you mentioned some solutions in the report, but is there anything that resembles a kind of long-term cross-sector strategy for, for dealing with these issues or, or are they kind of short-term fixes that have been suggested?
2: I wouldn't say they're exactly short-term. Um, there's a big emphasis on upskilling and on sort of changing the commissioning landscape to to. So that pharmacy features more in in in, in the primary care landscape, um, but in terms of, I, I guess issues like pay and um, the feeling of career, you know career stagnation or lack of progression, those are sort of it's uh, they they're difficult things to 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 grapple with, and I'm not sure the report uh, or the review um, uh, adequately. I don't know, I don't think it adequately um, charts a course out of all of the problems facing the profession.
1: No, fair enough. Um, Rob, what did you make of this?
2: Uh, I've got two or three things to say about this. I mean, first of all, I
3: think it's a bit of a cheap shot from the PDA. I mean, frankly, can anybody think of an employer group that's ever suggested workers should be paid more in the whole history of humankind? i don't think that's ever happened so that you know i'm not sure what point that's being made there of course it's never going to say that um however on the positive side i think it's really important that community pharmacy has a group focused on workforce and it you know given the the involves the three um main trade bodies that's a good thing because it covers um the sector as a whole i think it i don't think it's got any pretensions it's anything other than an employer group um but you know, the workforce issue is one of the kind of windows into the NHS. It, it occupies NHS managers quite a lot, thinking about how how they deploy the workforce they've got to do better things or more useful things. So I think it's important that community pharmacy has a handle on its own workforce and therefore can con- contribute to that. And I guess, um, as Arthur's pointed out, there's a few things coming down the tracks that complicate the workforce issues completely. But I guess as, a, as an initial stake in the ground, you know, you 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 can't get to what do we do next until you start with what do we know already, and so um, you know, I think this is an important first step in in having a proper dialogue about the workforce and where we want it to go and 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 how you might therefore then get there.
1: Yes, and you're right, um, Rob, because we we've, you know, we've not done a lot of workforce planning. It seems to me. Um, within pharmacy for quite a while so yeah we do need to know where we are before we can work out where we where we need to go that's for sure so yeah it's it's uh it's a valuable report um some some worrying trends that it's highlighting
4: okay uh neil let's go to you who's had a good week or a bad week so i yes thank you richard i've gone for psnc um i think they've had a decent week a common sense week would probably be a a better way of of, of putting it. Um, And they've decided to postpone the elections for the 13 independent contractor regional representatives until early 2023 uh, to allow the Right Review steering group to complete its work, very important work, as we know, on reforming the negotiating body and LPCs. Um, They've also urged LPCs themselves to postpone their elections for another year. Uh, And this is to allow all all this work to take place in an unhindered, undistracted way. Um, as we know, and and I think as we move forward with the right review, just as as an aside I think it's becoming even more important as we know some LPCs are in dire need of, uh, should we say, reform um, so it's crucially important work, so common sense PSNC um, I wouldn't call it a good week, I'd probably call it a, a decent week, um, I think it's the right decision um, and um, just to give you uh, something that the PSNC said here Simon Dukes um, for contractors, it will remain business as usual for the, from their PSNC representatives for the ne- for the next eighteen months. Our existing regional representatives will continue their important work to engage with LPCs and contractors, and of course to drive work and policy making at PSNC. So, I, it, one view is that this is being done; it's common sense. But there's a, the cynical view might be that the, the PSNC are doing is just just to show that they are, you know, taking this seriously, and they uh, make why wouldn't they? Um, but uh, yeah, for me, a decent week PSNC.
1: Decent week PSNC. I suppose there's two ways of looking at this. Um, like you say, Neil, is it a matter of allowing the time and the space um, for the steering group to concentrate on its work, which is complex uh, and difficult and will take time? And there is a case for continuity in business as usual, I guess. Or is it a, a missed opportunity to get some new blood in, Um to pep up the whole process. Uh, Rob, what do you think?
3: Uh, I think I'm with you on the second one there, Rich. to be honest, Uh, you could make the good point and say that turkeys are voting to postpone Christmas um, and and encouraging uh, turkeys in other farms to do the same, but I won't make that point. Um, (laughs) what, What I would say is, first of all, I don't remember there being that many elections to be honest for these for these bodies over the years so um it would be it would be nice if there was information around to suggest that there was a groundswell of lots of people wanting to get involved in representing uh community pharmacy contractors in the in the organizations going forward because that would be a good thing and I think some uh it's always nice to have a refresh I think there's a great there's a place for experience but there's also a place for people who thinks think there should be change and I guess when you're potentially contemplating wholesale change, then having uh, some new people in towards the end of the process, which is what it would be, it might be an interesting point. I mean, I know that can derail something if there's a, a massive groundswell of people who don't like the proposals. Um, but there's also a, an opportunity potentially for people who haven't been involved in the detail of it to to, to turn up and kick the tyres and make sure it's the right thing. Uh, I mean, this this thing's already going to take uh, three, three years, four years—I can't remember when it started now, but it seems feels to me like a long, long time ago. Uh, it's important to get it right, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the, the, there's—I think there's probably other things that that might have been put off um, in the interest of getting get, getting on with this and getting it done. Um.
1: So now it's time for our interview slots. Earlier this week, I talked to Thorin Govind, community pharmacist, English pharmacy board member, trainee lawyer. She's a young person of, of many talents. Now, Thorin is a passionate advocate for pharmacy in various media newsrooms up and down the land. And the full interview will appear next week as part of our In Conversation with podcast series. But we're going to play a short extract now. We were talking about inclusion and diversity in pharmacy and what the RPS and others are doing to tackle some of these important issues. And I asked Thorin whether she was happy with the pace of change. This is what she said.
0: I think the pace of change in society hasn't been quick enough. You know, it's still unacceptable that people are being discriminated for, you know, the colour of their skin. The fact that you know that they're disabled that that they're female you know there's just and that's just three categories uh, you know which do not define an individual but people are still judged in their day-to-day lives on uh, and there are many more um and and it's not fair it's not fair that a pharmacist should be paid less because they're female and we know there is you know there's a gender a gender pay gap um, and in fact one of the candidates standing for election talked about that so um so i think. There's just so much to be done. Um, like, how is it in 2021 that we're still seeing the behaviors in society? I, I'm just livid. I, I'm I'm angry because you know, even growing up for myself, I remember when I was younger, um, I went on holiday and and being shouting at for the you know for the color of my skin, and just you just sort of stood there thinking like, well, I can't change it, you know, it's just who I am. Uh, And, uh, you know, I I feel like I'm, I'm lucky in a sense, because I haven't really experienced that in such a, such an overt manner, as I've got older. But obviously, there are microaggressions and, 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 um, you know, invisible where we don't necessarily see it. So, I think from from my own experiences, and and I'd say some of my other experiences come come from some of the charity you know charity work that I've done, and you know being a trustee of a, me- a mental health charity, um, seeing how people are discriminated against because of you know mental health, um, and that's put part of the reason that I'm so passionate as well that the RPS uh, you know continues with this path now that we you know we're looking into well being of pharmacists and we're looking at inclusion and diversity. Because I don't think you can be an organisation and not. Um, and I don't want it to be lip service. I absolutely would abhor it to be just, oh, let's just do it for the sake of doing it. No, it's got to be improving the lives of pharmacists and pharmacy teams. And, and, and it has a trickle-down effect as well, because you know we can impact where we can impact as a society. but But if we can tackle some of these problems... You know that's hopefully going to trickle out to, our, you know, people who don't work in pharmacy, uh, our, our friends, our colleagues, you know, family, and and it can have a wider societal impact, really. So I mean, I mean, you can see I'm I'm really just quite angry about some of the some of this sort these sorts of behaviours, and and it absolutely needs to be be challenged. <laughs>
1: Thorin in there, uh, speaking with real passion and emotion, powerful stuff. Uh, We talked about a lot of other things as well during the interview. It was a very wide-ranging discussion, and uh, it was a great interview, actually. Uh, Thorin spoke very well. Um, As I mentioned before, the full interview will be released next week, and it's well worth a listen. Right, let's return to Good Week, Bad Week, and Rob, let's go to you. Uh, What do you have for us?
3: Thanks, Richard. I'm not sure whether this is a good week or a bad week, perhaps just a slightly sad week in a way. So, uh, the news announced this week that uh, the American wholesaler Amerisource Bergen Corporation has completed the acquisition of Alliance Healthcare, uh, deal finalised for $6.275 billion in cash, subject to some various financial provisions. Um, so sad, in, in a way. So what? why is that? Um, well, it marks the final transition of what started as a little co-op. Um, Ernest, a guy called Ernest Skew started in 1938 with 100 members distributing medicines and chemist sundries around London and the home counties. Um, that is still identified as a sort of founding moment of Alliance Healthcare as it is now. Uh, obviously, that company was Unichem. Uh, It grew over the years, it acquired, opened its first service centre in Tooting, London in 1945, started doing things with vans in 1947, and then grew from there to the group that we know now as Alliance Healthcare in the UK, acquired Moss in 1991, Uh, I should declare interest, I worked for Moss between 1995 and 19, uh, no, 2003 altogether, Uh, Moss Stroke Alliance Unichem. Uh, joined up with Alliance Sante in 1997, became Alliance Unichem PLC, uh, acquired all sorts of other things along the way, and then uh, in 2006 merged with Boots to become Alliance Boots and subsequently uh, was uh, the merger with Walgreens in the US to become Walgreens Boots Alliance. So um, we've now got uh, th- the three major... Pharmaceutical distributors, stroke logistics, stroke solutions providers in the UK, uh, owned by essentially owned by businesses outside of the UK. Two American, one um, based in Europe. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, I don't know. Perhaps in the long term we will find out. I guess there might be an opportunity in there for smaller logistics providers uh, to uh, play on that a little bit further. Uh, I suppose there's a few outstanding questions. um about what happens in the future, and the first one that occurred to me was what happens to um, Alliance Healthcare's uh, sort of partner program, Alfiga. Uh Very interesting. Alfiga is a European brand, uh, but this is a deal for Alliance Healthcare as a whole. So, while the while neither press press release from either side is is particularly detailed about what's been acquired. Um, alliance healthcare is essentially distribution businesses across a number of european countries so it's the it's the lot and obviously alfiga goes with that is that uh, is there a question about the future of alfiga well probably not because and mary Source bergen which dates its own roots back to 1871 um has since 1978 had a had its own partner programme for independent community pharmacies called Good, Good Neighbour Pharmacy. Um, that's now essentially uh, delivered, as I understand it, as a slightly set, standalone business, but supported by AmeriSourceBergen. So uh, there may be some opportunities to, to cross-fertilise those programmes uh, going forward. Um, so a uh, sad day in a way, because uh, we've known this particular business in its current format for quite a while. Uh, and it's now got new owners uh, completely, uh, and we shall see what happens with that. But I just also would spare it a little bit of a thought for—I um, know people probably don't spare too much of a thought for Stefano Pasina uh, and Onella Barra, who uh, obviously are um, uh, multi-billionaires. Uh, Stefano certainly is. Um, but I guess the the the, the final sale of All- Allianz Healthcare is is the end of the road for um mr Piscina's involvement in distribution uh started in 1977 when he took over his family's pharmaceutical wholesaler petroni group in naples in italy and turned that into Sante and then the rest as i've just described so um while uh ornella barra is remains a board member of Amerisource she's been a board member of Amerisource since 2015 so she's uh, still involved uh, and has been involved in, in um, wholesaling for many many years, like uh, Mr. Pessina. um You know that's that's possibly a little bit of a sad, a sad thing for him too to to finally sort of uh, lose the, the last tie with with distribution. Um, not that we should be uh, that sad about Mr. Pasina because his his business life has been one of stellar success for for many many years.
1: Thanks, Rob. That was a that was a great overview, great history lesson as well. I uh, I really enjoyed that. And of course, uh, you and Ernest Skews were were very close colleagues back in the day. So Neil uh, Alliance Healthcare, obviously a, a key supplier to to independence, your readership. What well, what did you make of it?
4: Well, I'm just put, I'm 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 just putting myself in the in the shoes of an um, independent uh, trying to digest this news. And um, from what we understand. Alliance Healthcare will remain Boots's distribution partner until 2031, um, but what will happen after that hasn't really been kind of clarified. And, and there's a lot of pharmacists, a lot of independents who use Alliance Healthcare for you know for stock. And what happened? I mean, it, I, I I don't know whether this development will will affect. Um, I mean, Julian Mount has said it will uh, improve uh delivery of uh, innovation and and, uh, and and supply chain service de- delivery and all those things but i i don't know in practice as an independent if i was an independent i i'm not sure how to really greet this news whether i'd be, I'd be a little bit nervous really i don't know because we all know about the problem's with drugs to pharmacies down the years uh, we all know the situation that, that that's that's been for independence, and I don't know whether this is is, is going to exacerbate those concerns or, or, or whether it's a good thing. I I, I I'm not really sure how to greet this, um, and the, and the impact this will actually have on independence. Just a thought. Well, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Nobody
1: knows. I mean, we we the the shape of the new company under the new owners is, is yet to be determined. But I think you and you know and Rob raised some some really interesting questions there, and I think. um Independence would we'll be looking very closely to see to see what happens um, with the Amery Mary, the Sourceberg and takeover because yeah these are you both identified some you know some really important issues for independence um, even if they are thinking ahead to 2031 which I'm not sure I will be but uh, we'll keep a close eye on that. Okay, my turn next. Um, I'll finish things off. So for me it's uh it's been a bad week for the the P category. I mean I was I was musing on the future of pharmacy only medicines uh when I read this week about yet another P to GSL switch this time nasocort allergy. we we'll Would be getting some over to you Arthur. Um so we've had plenty of these switches over the last couple of years and we've even had the uh the POM to GSL switch of the antihistamine uh, it was fexofenadine wasn't it I think. So yeah continuing and growing trends now is this simply about the commoditization of otc medicines you know they're, they're safe they're effective and therefore access needs to be as wide as possible or has pharmacy lost the p category or is losing the p category by not not safeguarding it closely enough by failing to offer sufficient value um through neglecting the advice elements or or conversely making consumers jump through too many hoops. I mean, you know, do we really, do our leaders, the professional leaders really understand the, the P category? Um, I don't know, but what I do know is the OTC market in, in pharmacy is, is far from buoyant, and there are some COVID factors in there as well, of course. And in most pharmacies these days, OTC medicines form less than 10% of turnover, I think. And this is concerning, Clearly, if self-care is going to remain a key offer of community pharmacy, which we all hope it does. Um, some rays of light in all of this. Uh, Viagra Connect is performing well with some some great support from, from the manufacturer. Beatrice has created an entirely new category there, of course. And there are the impending pom switches of the, the two oral contraceptives from, from HRA Pharma and Maxwellia. Again, creating an entirely new category when when that happens, hopefully soon. Now. Uh, and I can tell you the eyes of a lot of people will be on pharmacy in, in terms of how well the sector handles those particular switches. But I can't help going away from this thinking that overall, the P category is in decline. Um, that's bad news for pharmacy. So that's it for another week. We'll finish things there. And my thanks to Neil, Rob and Arthur, and also our podcast sponsor, Aronix from Dr. Reddy's. All the Talking Pharmacy podcasts are available to download from the Pharmacy Magazine website, pharmacymagazine.co.uk, or your usual podcast provider. But for now, from all of us, thanks very much for listening.